I want to begin my sermon today by the exact same way that I entered high school, and that is to first and foremost be extremely unpopular. When I was dating my wife, uh, we got into several conversations. You know that that first time you meet somebody and you're having those long phone conversations and they usually end with, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, no, you hang up, no, no, you hang up. I'm just going to stay on the phone all night. I just want to hear you breathe. All those Maybe just me, but all those things that I had going on early when I was talking with Melissa as I was in Montana and she was in Phoenix. And I remember that she had so many questions and she wanted me to take so many tests. We're like, well, well, what? will you take this test? Because I want to get to know your personality traits and all this. And I said, well, I can just tell you. I can tell you exactly how I argue, how I fight, how I pout, and all the horrific things about myself, which I did. I vomited out on her everything. And then she goes into something that um, I frankly become very unpopular when I mention, and that is, what is your love language, she asked me. And I said, well, it's funny you ask me, because I don't believe in love languages. She's like, Como what? Who doesn't believe in love languages? And I said, well, I don't. I said, because the premise is broken from the very beginning, and I'm sorry, this is what makes me unpopular. But we have five love languages that we're often grown up in. We read the books and we share it when people get married and leave it on the table and say, this is really good marriage advice. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that the five love languages, Melissa is like, well, mine is like uh, the, the touch one. I don't even know what all five of them are. I just know that like she likes physical touch, right? And I would often say that mine might be words of affirmation. But my argument with this, and what I often told her, it says, like, you know, I guarantee that if all I do is give you affection, 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 and never did the other four love languages, you'll be deprived of those other love languages, and you will want, then begin to desire those love languages. See, what I went looking for in a relationship, I told to Melissa, is not something that we're just focusing on one aspect, something that's cute and special and romantic. I'm in this for real. I'm in this to the deep levels of every relationship. I want the whole thing. I want absolute commitment. I want words of affection. I, I want words of affirmation. I want gifts. I want you. I want to know that you're going to love me and I'm going to love you regardless. I want the whole big enchilada. That's what I'm into. I'm not just one section over here. Like when I'm talking about pursuing you for the intentions of marriage, I'm going to pursue you with all of my being because I'm sick and tired of wasting my life and doing meaningless relationships. She's like, okay, that's a lot. And that was her first experience with a verbal processor. And so what I've discovered is that James is hounding on the exact same thing. In the book of James, we've been taking you on a journey of what a mature Christian, an authentic Christian, is what they're supposed to look like. We're not talking about just one aspect of the Christian life. We're not talking about two aspects. We're not talking about five languages of the Christian authentic life. What we're talking about is the perfect, whole, complete Christian one who completely and fully and perfectly reflects the life of Jesus. That's the whole premise of the book. And we've been taking you, Pastor Marshall has been taking you on this journey that James is writing this letter to Christians to say, hey, you are meant to reflect not just partially, not just one language, but all of the language. 
to communicate all of the aspects of Christianity, to grow into maturity, to not just have faith, but have a walk to your faith. And as we're going to begin to see today, he's going to dive in and say that there's a talk to Christianity. And so he gives us, this book is revealing to us, here is how you become complete. Since we are talking about the wholeness of of being a Christian, a genuine, authentic, real-life Christian, what we are meaning here is reflecting Jesus, and there are so many things that determine whether we are reflecting Jesus. And James kind of reminds me of that. I don't know if you guys have ever seen... um, Mighty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. But in a youth group, we watched this, and it was a very dry sense of humor. It was just a a movie that I fell asleep on so many times, but there is a specific scene in the Mighty Python, Search for the Holy Grail, that I have come to really appreciate. And it is the scene where the town brings forward a woman dressed like a witch to the town council and says, hey, we found a witch, as if it's a popular thing to go and expose witches before the town council. And so they're carrying this woman, and they've put a fake nose on her and a wart, and they're like, we've got a witch, we've got a witch. And uh, they take her to the town council, and the town council says, well, how do you know she's a witch? Well, because she has a nose. And she's like, no, you put the nose on me. Well, she's got a wart. And well, you put the wart on me. And the town council said, well, there are other ways to determine whether she's a witch. And the town's like, tell us. Yeah, tell us. How do we know she's a witch? And he goes, well, what floats in water? And they're like, apples, churches, very small rocks, ducks, right. So what she's saying is, if she weighs as much as a duck, she's a witch. Off to the scales. And so that whole scene is basically to determine what a true witch is right and what a true witch is, right? Well, that's what James is also getting at here. There are ways we can determine authentic Christianity. There are ways to determine and there are ways to gauge ourselves and our lives and our faith. And as we grow and as we pursue this complete, full reflection, there are ways that we can hone in on certain things to gauge how we're doing and how we're growing, and if we're truly reflecting what we're meant to reflect, Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves on in James chapter 3. Now, before I get into this, I need to confess something to you. So I am well past my, uh, um, I can't even think of the word. I've, I've had COVID a couple weeks ago. Quarantine, word. And so I will confess to you, there is this fog in my mind where I might be reaching for words that I, it's just, there's like this dark shadow. So pray for me that the spirit can overtake it and overpower this dumb thing called fog in my mind. So anyway, with that said, looking at, everybody turn to James chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses one through 12, more specifically verse two, and then three through five, and then six through 10. And keep in mind, the whole premise of what James is saying here is that you are meant to be a full picture, a sharp image, a reflection of the life of Jesus Christ. You are to grow in maturity, and that we've already talked about some things James is really, um, 
that James has already mentioned and that we've already talked about the last couple of weeks. One is that our faith, genuine Christianity, produces a faith that has good works. So we do action. We do things in our life to display the faith we have. And two, it's often seen in how we treat others. We don't show partiality. And it's often also displayed and seen in how we respond to others when they ridicule us. And today, James is going to take another step. He goes, it's not about just your actions of your faith that will display authentic, genuine Christianity, but it's also your words. He goes on to say that even if you want to be this full, complete, authentic Christian, if you want to grow in your faith and pursue maturity in Christian, look at verse 2. He says this, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And what James is saying here is, hey, look, guys, as we pursue maturity, as, as what I'm encouraging you to understand and come to know, to reflect the life of Jesus, we all stumble. That's a given. James, the brother of Jesus himself, the one who is writing this letter, says, look, guys, I stumble too. But there's a key here that I want to reveal to you, that the perfect man, and by perfect we mean whole and complete, right? And that perfect man is Jesus, and that's what we're to attain to. If you want to be like that, then here's the key. You have to learn to tame your tongue. If you can tame your tongue, then what you're going to be able to do is also tame the other pieces of your life. James is about to unfold and reveal to you that the tongue is a very powerful, one of the most powerful things in, that exists in all of creation. And he, he begins in verse 3 through 5. Look at those verses with me. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. James is saying here that if you are able to tame the tongue, if you can wield this very powerful instrument, you can create you can correctly have great assistance in maturing your faith. You, if you can wield this instrument called the tongue in your life, it will help carry you to that point where you can have that sharp image reflection of the life of Jesus. And he says, consider, consider how powerful James is pointing out how powerful the tongue is by saying, first and foremost, the tongue has the ability to tame the most rebellious parts of you and bring them into obedience, like a bridle in the mouth of a wild beast horse, where you can cause it to be obedient to you as you ride upon it. That is the power of the tongue. That's the ability of the tongue. If you tame it, you can control the most rebellious pieces of you. Then he goes on to say, it also has the ability to guide you in the right direction regardless of any deterrence, like a rudder steers a ship in the midst of storms and winds of various kinds. He's talking about the tongue here. There's 12 verses where he doesn't get off subject and he's pointing out to things that we can see in real life and say, you know like that rudder in the ship? You know like that bridle in the mouth of a horse? That's the tongue. You want to become this complete 
full, authentic Christian that reflects completely the life of Jesus, you gotta tame the tongue. That's how powerful it is. It has the ability to ignite the smallest spark and set things ablaze. Haven't you seen this in your own life? And we're going to get into this even deeper here a little bit later. But haven't we seen this, that even with just a word, we can speak death or life into the life of others? Man, I was so, growing up, I was a very big kid, and that brings with it a whole world of insecurities. And I know that my great-grandma would say to me, hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names have never hurt me. Hurt, hurt me. That's a load of malarkey. I mean, I walked in, I, I came from Alaska, went directly into middle school in um, Hanover, Indiana. I walked in with my football jacket on that said bruiser, thought I was going to start fresh and new. I go and wash my hands in the bathroom, and there is a couple guys right there that looked at my thing and go, oh, bruiser, bruiser, the two-ton loser. And I was like, oh, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Words hurt and destroy but they can also bring life. If we were able to take this instrument, this sword, and wield it for the power and the purposes of God, we will begin to reflect and grow in our maturity. If we can tame the tongue, we can pull the, rein in those parts of our life that are not as powerful, but still flesh themselves out, that are rebellious. See, if you can learn to tame the tongue then you can learn to tame, tame your appetite because the, the tongue is stronger. This is what James is getting at. The tongue is a huge instrument in the life of a Christian, not just your actions. In fact, he, he even catapults the tongue over actions and say, you can have all those good actions in your religion. You can be walking out your faith, but if you don't, don't rein in your tongue, if you don't tame your tongue, you know what? All of that is going to be worth invalid. Easy, James. Come on, man. Slow your roll, buddy. He says, no, here's that key. Not only do you walk your faith, but you talk your faith. And it begins by taming your tongue. And just like that, he's given us a, a good tool, a good instrument, a good gauge by which we can grow in our reflection of Jesus Christ. But look at what he continues on saying. He says, but this isn't easy. In fact, there are many things that we've been able to tame and conquer, but the tongue, no one has been actually able to do it. Look at verse 6. He says, the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species and beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. So James, he's real. He says, I get it. We stumble in many ways. 
But if we can reign in our tongue, then we can reign in the other parts of our bodies and make it our slave so that we can completely come into fullness of reflecting the sharp image of Jesus Christ in his life. That's the goal here. That's the end game. That's the journey we're on. That is the walk we're trying to live. And now we've got to bring our talk in tandem with our walk. But it's hard. You just don't approach this task timidly. Because let me tell you about the tongue. And he goes in and he begins to recall our mind, actually, to creation. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but as I was reading through those verses for the first time, I began, my mind went directly to the garden, right? We see that God himself wielded his tongue, his words, and spoke and brought life into all creation, made man in his own image to reflect him and his abilities to speak life. And he says, Adam, you're going to subdue the earth. You're going to give names to the animals. You're going to tame them. You're going to rule over them. You're going to rule and reign over this creation that I've created with my word, just like I create, just like I rule over all of the cosmos. So wield your instrument well. Reflect me and be life-giving. But then a serpent comes in. And a serpent twists and deceives and lies. Instead of believing the word that brings life, he believed in the word that brought death. And then all of failure happened in creation, called a fallen state. See, James just say, like, that we can tame a lot of things. Matter of fact, there was this time in, in Montana where, I don't know if you're familiar with Montana, but there's a lot of cowboys, a lot of ranches, and that was something that was new to me. I'm out there working in the oil field, and I bought my first pair of steel-toed uh, cowboy boots because I wanted to blend in and fit in. And so there was this guy at the church I was attending named, uh, I called him Hoss because he reminded me of Hoss from Bonanza. Always wore his hat, was kind of a big, burly type of guy walking around like this. And he invited me to come over and to castrate some bulls for the first time in my whole entire life. And so, like, I, he began to explain the process here. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of fun, cool, and why would you do that? And uh, so he, I, I show up to this ranch, and let me just point out how little I know about cowboy stuff. I knew that this was a physical activity, so I put my gym shorts on. And then I had a button-up um, from my work. It was an FR shirt that, you know, was flame retardant. So I put that on in case there were flames around. And then I had a cowboy hat that I got down at the, uh, the uh, Good Samaritan. Uh, is that what that place is called? When you go and, huh? Goodwill, thank you. Um, ah, sorry, there it is, uh, brain fog. So I got a cowboy hat, put on my steel-toe cowboy boots. I rolled up blaring country music because I never listened to it. And I'm just, I'm pulling in there. The dust is flying and flinging on. There is Hoss and his dad riding, leather-faced, and riding their steeds around, right? And they're roping cattle, pulling their legs, rolling them over, slip, clip, and done, and it's over. And so um, they, so... I was gifted by them with this task of going into this ring while they're on their horses with this massive bull. They have just somehow gotten this bull. I don't understand the process of how you inherit cows or cattle or bulls or whatever, but this, this guy wasn't a little guy. This guy was a full-fledged, full adult, 
bull. I mean, he was massive. He was huge. And I'm sitting there in this ring, in this corral. Is that what they refer to that? Okay. This corral. Let's call it a corral. Can we call it a corral? We're going to call it a corral. Well, I'm in this corral thing, this circle, this ring. And they're on their horses. And he's, uh, Haas is telling me specifically what's going to go down. All right, Bruce, you need to stay out of the way. But once we rope the front legs and the back legs and bring the bull down, I need you to put your knee on its neck and hold it down. And it's like, if you know me, you're, I was like, I had this rush of testosterone. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live into what I was created to do, to subdue creation. This is going to be amazing and awesome. So I'm sitting here as if I'm waiting to be tag-teamed in. And these guys are, it was the most amazing thing. These horses were so obedient. They would rope the front, rope the back. It would, uh, these, they got off the horses. They're like, guys, what are you doing? They're like, it's okay. The horses are trained to, to keep tension. And so they, they put them down. They're like, Bruce, come over here. And this bull's just like trying to jerk. And those horses are pulling back on it. And it's like, rrr, rrr. and so I go, and I have to psych myself up. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I put my knee on his neck. I'm like, like, like yes, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm the pinnacle of creation. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, you take that. You take that. And they just do that. And like, all right, Bruce, get out of here. And so I run. They let, let up the bull. And now we have to get the bull into this other ring. And they're like, uh, they get back up on the horses. And they, they say, okay, Bruce, what we need you to do is we need you to stand at the end of this lane. And we're going to try to corral, maybe this is a better use of the word, but corral this bull into this other pen. There we go. I found the words. And, uh, and so, uh, so I was like, okay, so you want me to stand here? He was like, yeah, like he should probably just go straight in there. But you're to kind of make sure he doesn't go past the opening of the gate right here. Okay, I'm like, all right, I got this. And I, I could tell by some of the chuckles of his dad that there was something that was about to happen that I was not foreseeing. And so I, I'm, I'm just like feeling so good about myself because I just subdued a big bull. I tamed that guy, right? I put him on the ground. Okay, I didn't, but I pretended I did. You know, I did my part. And here comes the bull. And he's just tropping in. He just, you know, he's just like, I'm no longer, I don't know why I exist. They just make me steak. And so he goes in and he does this number. I'm straight ahead of him. He's tromping in. He's heading in the right direction. I don't have to do anything. I'm a little nervous, I'll be honest. So this bull kind of goes in there and does this. He tell, double takes at me and just runs straight at me. I'm like, guys, what do I do? They're like, jump over the fence. So I grab the top rung and I flip myself over in just enough time before I got pierced. And they're dying laughing. I go, guys, what was so funny? I about just died. They said, well, because of all your smack talk while you're on his neck, I, we knew this bull was not going to like you. And so when he saw you, he saw red. And, he, dude, you bailed just at the perfect time. You almost got lit up. And I was like, that was the most scariest thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. How do you guys do this each and every day? So I tell that story to say that we can tame big, massive bulls like that, but we have a hard time taming tongue. You see how I did there? It's a great segue. So this whole thing that what, what James is talking about, that the tongue is really difficult. Look at what James refers to as this tongue. He says it's a whole world of sin. It's a world of iniquity. 
in your tongue possesses all of the iniquity that ruins your life. You got to tame that. You don't need to make it a world of sin. You got to somehow tame it and turn it into a world of salvation. Look, it defiles your whole entire body. Your tongue does. What you say, how you speak, what you speak defiles you. Because you got to tame that so you can produce holiness. He says, it's set on fire by hell. Hell ignited this thing. It began in the garden with the serpent who has a split tongue and he made lies. And, you, and we believed them, and this, it started a whole fire that Jesus has put out. It doesn't need to be hell-like. It needs to be heavenly when you tame your tongue. The tongue speaks of death. It invites death into the people's lives. It destroys people. When you put them down, it destroys them. It speaks of death. It, it, it ruins them. You, you need to wield your tongue and tame it to produce life in others. That's what the tongue is meant for. And if you could tame it, if you could rein it in, man, you'll be reflecting Jesus. It's a split tongue. And the last time I checked, the thing that I'm most familiar with that has a split tongue is a serpent. And we need to stop acting like Satan and start acting like our Savior and wielding our tongue for the purposes of what it was truly intended for. This thing in our mouth was meant to bring forth life. That's what authentic Christianity is about. There's no dichotomy between actions and words. We as Christians, James says, all of us spread out through all of this territory, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ and have placed our faith in our Lord and Master, we do things and then we say the right things that bring and invite life into the lives of others. We don't bring them down. We don't destroy. We don't put them down. And there's no this or that. There's no actions speak louder than words because there's no category for the two to be separated. James says they go hand in hand. They both ride tandem. Faith in action and faith in word go hand in hand. If we are going to go on proving the genuineness of our faith, remember that's in the first chapter that James gets at. He goes, you're going to go through various trials of various kinds to prove your faith, to define the type of faith that you have. But a lot of times we use these trials of various kinds to allow it to defeat our faith. He says, no, reframe your mind. Don't let it defeat your faith. Let it define your faith and prove its genuineness. When we go on proving the genuineness of our faith and completely reflecting the life of Jesus, then we have to seek to rein in and tame our tongues. True Christian faith not only is displayed by works, but it is also heard with our words. James offers us a few insights on how we can gain this mastery over our tongues. So let me just reiterate where we've been so far. One, James says we're not talking about just a portion of Christianity. We're talking about a complete 
whole aspect of authentic Christianity, genuine faith that reflects perfectly the life of Jesus Christ, our exemplar. And so in order to do that, we got to make sure that we are testing these attributes in our lives, these things that do describe what an authentic Christian is. And we're talking about the tongue today. And when we talk about the tongue, what James has done throughout his whole letter is actually riddled his whole letter with these things that we can do to help gain mastery over this thing that's nearly impossible. So what does he say? James says, well, be slow to speak, quick to listen. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all, we often hear. But that's in James chapter 1, verse 19. That if you would just, part of taming your tongue is first seeking to understand before you're then understood. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because that's one aspect of being able to rein in this powerful instrument so that you might reflect completely the life of Jesus. Be slow to, to speak, quick to listen. This is just a, a good practical tool for every relationship. First, I, I read the seven habits of highly effective people. One of their seven habits is to first seek to understand, then to be understood. How many of the conversation arguments within the relationships within your area of influence have you had that if you just would have sought where that person is coming from, maybe you wouldn't have blown them up the way you did. If you can just exercise through the spirit to discipline yourself, just to listen and to seek where that person is coming from before you begin to speak, Therefore, you might be able to actually speak life into the person rather than try to destroy them. And all because you just didn't fully understand where they're coming from. Then he says in verse 26 of chapter 1, you got to accompany your works with your words. Like I've already said, these things ride tandem together. Your actions and your words have to be unified. Work that out. Many of you might serve in the church. Many of you might take care of the homeless. Many of you might take care of the poor and the needy. But if you're not also at the same time giving them the word of life, if you're not also speaking the good news into their life, then what are you doing? All of your actions, James says, is meaningless. Your religion is worthless, he says. That's a big, bold statement. I thought I was just good enough just to spend my extra time that I have away from my family taking care of those who desperately need it. But if you're not speaking the gospel to them, if you're not speaking the words of life, if you're not offering encouragement, if you're not offering your prayers, if you're not offering praising the Lord and testimony to encourage them, then all of that is worthless and meaningless, James says. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. Verse 26, chapter 1. Then he also goes on in chapter 4, skipping ahead. He says in chapter 4, verse 11, speak life into people, not death. And we've already talked about this. He goes, don't put other people down. For when you put other people down, you act like the judge. You usurp God's authority and rule and reign as ultimate judge. And you put yourself on that seat. And you start putting people down as if they don't live up to the expectation you have for them. Stop that. We don't do that. We have a God who judges rightly, and you don't. So knock it off. 
Quit putting people down. Quit speaking death and destruction into life and speak goodness and encouraging one another. Even more as the day approaches. James says we are the people in this world that is set apart to speak life. Because everybody else is speaking death. Everybody else's tongues are set afire by hell. Ours are going to be set on fire by Jesus himself that brings forth the word, a fire that doesn't destroy, it doesn't consume, but it's just everlasting and igniting and encouraging and lifting up. And a fire that brings life. He says, quit doing that. Speak life. That's your vocabulary. These are the words that we utter. We as Christians, this is what we do. This is our thing. This is how we roll. This is how we speak. And then he goes on to say something I think is something that we all need to focus on, and I, probably more than anybody here, chapter 5, verse 12, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, we're following a logical progression of what James is revealing with the tongue. And what he's saying is like, see, when your actions and your words match up, when they ride tandem together, you know what that means? When you say yes, that means you do what you say. But when you say no, that means you don't do it. That means when we talk about, yes, I can commit to this, I can't commit to that. Because we first are seeking to understand, then we're understood because we're first going to listen, and then we're going to be slow to speak. And when we do that, and we say yes, and when we say no, we mean it. We're not wishy-washy. We're somebody you can trust. We're truth-tellers. Can I get pastoral? May I get pastoral? I'm going to get pastoral. Because I can. That's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do, is to encourage you and to slightly offer you a little bit of truth. Many of you, all the members here, have signed a covenant to be here. And in that covenant, it says, like, here at Harvest Point, we're going to do certain things. We're going to take care of the hungry. We're going to take care of the needy. We're going to take care of the poor. We're going to come together and worship. We're going to live our lives as if everything that we've been blessed with comes from God and is God's and not our own. When you've given your yes here, then don't quickly bypass it and then give your no when we say, hey, we as a church ought to be serving in our community and then nobody shows up to help or maybe two of us show up to help. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you can't commit, if you don't have the time, then don't do it. But if you say yes, if you are here, if you said I'm going to be a part of this family of God, specifically in this small church, Harvest Point Methodist Church, I am going to sit here and I'm going to love on these people. I'm going to commit to praying for these people. I'm going to commit to being there. When we do something that is annual as Friend Day, I am going to go out and I'm going to open my mouth and, and speak life and invite life into the life of others and my friends. I'm going to go and proclaim the gospel. I'm going to go and study and grow in my maturity as Christians. I'm going to be a part of this community. Well, Bruce, I, I, but I've also said yes to work and all these extracurricular activities. And this is what James is talking about. Well, it sounds like you're a whole lot of yes and you're not a whole lot of no. He goes, we have to balance that life. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I would argue that the most important thing you can ever say yes to is the bride of Christ. And if you've said yes, which many, if not all of you have, 
You know what that means? Would you consider what the yes means? Like, I'm here. I'm here to serve alongside my brothers and sisters here. Somebody approached me one time and was like, well, are you just all for Harvest Point? I mean, there are other churches, there are other brides of Christ, yes, but my yes sits here at Harvest Point. My yes doesn't sit down at another pew or another seat in a different church. I'm committed here. And so I serve here, first and foremost. And he offers these insights to gain mastery of our tongue, and it has to be with making sure that our yes is yes and our no is no. Then he goes on and and does something I think that's really, really practical to give us insights to master our tongues, and that is prayer and confession. In chapter 5, 15 and 16, he talks about praying for one another, to intercede for one another. That's also a passive way of speaking life and to others. If you're not, if you haven't downloaded our app and are part of our prayer team where, we, where we're posting prayer requests and that people get to say, hey, I'm praying. There is nothing, especially when you're sick like I've been or when you're in a, when you're in a bind, you have a friend or family in a bind that you can share a, a prayer request with a specific set of group of people that are committed to be praying for life for that person, whether it be spiritual, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical. That we are a people that we speak in prayer to the one who can do it all. And we intercede for them. And we're going to bring life. We're going to ask God to bring life into their lives. We use and wield this instrument that is the most powerful thing, according to James, that we have. We're going to wield it for life. And we're going to pray for one another. And not only that, we're going to confess. We are going to be a people that confess sin, that we're a people that are honest with our mouths about what's truly in our heart, regardless of how it might be perceived. There's no category for authentic Christians to really sit there and hold back truth. The truth of the reality is, guys, I stand up here being a miserable, pathetic, nasty sinner, saved by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. And when James says, if you confess to your brother, if you wield this instrument to get out that sin, you will find healing, he says. Prayer and confessing is a great instrumentation, is a utilization of the tongue. That's what we got to be doing. And then elsewhere, we learn that even Matthew, going outside of James, we know that these things are true because Matthew even speaks about it when he's quoting Jesus to gauge the heart because from the heart the mouth speaks. See, the truth of the matter is, is when we're ugly, when we're putting down, when we're speaking words of death, it's really ultimately revealing to us what's ultimately in our hearts. Well, no, no, no. I care for others. Well, not if you're willing to use your mouth to put others down and to speak death into their life. There's some remote area of your heart that still is dark. Because from here, your mouth speaks. Taming the tongue isn't just about restraint either. 
A lot of this is focused on honing in and reining in and restraining the tongue. But it's not just about restraining, but it's also about re releasing your tongue at appropriate opportunity. Peter says it this way, be ready to speak about what you believe. Be ready to testify. On the edge of your tongue, at any given point throughout your day with whoever you're interacting with, have the gospel right there. Think about it. I'm a guy, I don't like to do things last minute. I have to think. When I was in high school and they called me bruiser, bruiser, two-tongue loser, man, three days later, I'd have the greatest comeback that would destroy them because I would think about it. But then I would never give opportunity to destroy them. So I have to think through what I'm going to say. I have to go over and over and over again because I'll be honest, if I'm at the grocery store and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, where are you going when you die? I'm going to be like, uh, uh, can I call you in three days? Unless I'm already thinking about it, unless it's on the edge of my tongue and I'm more familiar with what I need to say. And, and Peter says, be ready, be prepared to give that answer. But many of us, we still restrain the tongue on the good things that we should ought to be speaking. We restrain and we rein in the tongue when it's supposed to be let loose. How many of us have shared the gospel with anybody? Or just a testimony of how Jesus has impacted your life this week? We got a couple. Can we all get to a point? Can we all just be a family? Can we be authentic Christians? Can we be mature Christians? Can we grow in our faith so that when that question's asked, we all raise our hand and say, that's the life we live? Because James is saying, yeah, that's what a whole complete Christian does. We restrain our tongue, but then we also set it loose with the gospel, speaking life into others. For you to arrive at spiritual maturity, you are going to have to allow the spirit to work in your heart and on your tongue. Changes have to be made in our lives. We have to love, encourage, be praying, praise our Lord and Savior. We have to make a confession, a discipline in our lives. We have to speak truth and honesty regardless of the cost and regardless of what it might make us look like because that's just what we are. That's what we do. We have to speak about promise. And all of that is the correct use of our tongue. Sanctification is a big word that basically says it is set apart and it's being used for its true purpose and intention. See, because of the fall, none of us are living as we ought to live. And what Jesus has done is he afforded us the life to where we can begin living through, in him, through the Holy Spirit, to begin reflecting what we were created to do from the very beginning. Jesus is bringing us back to our original state. That's sanctification. You are meant to reflect me. I'm the perfect man. I'm your exemplar. You're to reflect me. To completely reflect me, one of the things you have to do, not all, but one of the things you have to do is learn to tame the tongue and also set your tongue rightly and let it loose. And we do this when we offer encouragement, love, prayer, and confession, when we're being truthful and honest no matter what the cost is. Many of us are still using our tongues in poisonous ways. Many of us need to confess that we have a split tongue, like the serpent. 
The way you talk is still reminiscent of the fires of hell rather than the freshness of heaven. Instead of speaking life into others, you make your dead faith known by your rebuke, cursing, and lies. What James is doing is James is calling us to authentic, real, genuine faith. And that faith bonds us all together. We say we're family, we're brothers and sisters. We've been talking about how we ought to treat others, how we ought to respond when others treat us poorly. And now James says, now let's talk about our language and our speech. And we have to be in unity on this. We all need to tame our tongues. And then he says, if we can learn to tame our tongues, man, we can rein in the rest of our parts, make them our slave, so that we can be conformed into the image of Jesus and reflect him as we ought to be reflecting him. Don't stay where you are. Many of you are faithful Christians and have been in this game for a very long time and are further down the path of sanctification. And to you, I say, keep going and stir and encourage others to do the exact same thing that you've been doing. And for those of us who are new in our faith, here is a great gauge and a measuring stick by which we can look at our lives and say, how is my speech? How is my tongue? What other areas of my life do I need to rein in? And what areas of my life do I need to let loose? It's time to level up. It's time to grow in our faith. I don't want any one of you to look exactly the way you did when you walked in these doors. I would have the spirit to transform you by the power of God's word to go and do the very thing that you say you believe and to go and speak the very thing you affirm. You, O Christian, do not have a timid life riddled with powerlessness, but you live a resurrected life that possesses the power to tame even the greatest instrument that we possess, our tongues. So don't be defeated, don't be timid, but pursue authentic Christianity. And there's a couple ways that I think we can do this practically as we close here. And that is one, if you don't know what to do, do what James says to do, pray and confess. Find somebody to go and help pray if you're not in the, in the discipline of praying. Say, will you pray for me? Will you speak life into me? Go and pray for somebody else. Start exercising your faith and believing that God can bring life into the lives of others by praying to him, by praising him. And then believe God at his word that when he says, if you're struggling, if you are emotionally just distraught or you're physically distraught or you have problems and things like that, there's probably sin that is still lingering in your heart that you need to confess. If you want healing, you don't necessarily have to go to the counselor. Why don't you start by just believing God that if you confess and get it out, he will, that you will find healing in a way you've never experienced before and that nobody can ever speak into you. Only God can bring that sort of healing. So go and confess to your spouse. Go and confess to somebody in your band. 
I'm telling you, if you trust that, you will find healing, I promise you. And if I'm wrong, you can come and punch me in the face and shave my beard. I promise you. That's where you can begin. Praying and confessing. And then something you can do this week is instead of talking to anything or about anything else, go and just go to your friends. Go to your circle of influence. Go to your coworkers. Go to the people at the grocery store because you know we all have to buy groceries this week. Maybe some of us have to get gas. Maybe some of us have to walk in our neighborhoods and we see people and release your tongue and invite them to church. But more importantly than that, even if you don't get around to inviting them, just share right in that moment life, the word of life, the testimony of how God has changed your life and what God can do for their lives. Speak it to them. You'll be nervous, but that's what authentic Christianity is. That's what we do. We speak about the very thing that saves and brings life for people. So invite them to friend day. Be with your brothers and sisters who are going to be doing the exact same thing this week. Those are some practical things, and there's a, a plethora of them that we can get into here, but the time is over. The time to respond is now. Those are practical things that you can do. You can do right now something that if there is somebody on your heart and on your mind, you can, you can actually follow the example of those who are younger than you. There's name tags, there's things. You can put a name of somebody you want to invite, and we can pray for these names specifically so that if they're resistant to you, that that resistance will go away and they'll show up and hear the gospel. You could do that. There's an application right there. You could come and pray at the altar. You could go find somebody and pray. Right now, there are things that you can do. And again, let me remind you what, what James says from the opening. Faith is an action. Faith. So go and do. Do something. Take one of these things and begin implementing them in your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray.